Well, you've had a lot of time to think over the last month. I've had a lot of time to think about things that are important and things that aren't that important to us. We've had time to rediscover old hobbies and habits. I know a lot of people have been putting puzzles together, working on scrapbooks, watching old movies, even watching sports reruns. I even heard of a guy who, um, in the, the absence of March Madness, discovered a woman in his house and got to know her and figured out it was his wife. And we've just discovered a lot of things during this period of time. I want to share with you a, a few things that I've discovered uh, just in my own home and in my own life. For example, we have more food in our house and in our freezer than I ever imagined. We have not, uh, not gone without a single meal during this period. I, I found out that I make pretty good coffee. I, I've, I've discovered there's a lot of really bad shows on TV. Uh, I've, I've known the Bible to be even more interesting than ever before. I, I've discovered the world doesn't revolve around sports, home cooking. Well, that's, that's underrated. Uh, there are things that I didn't want to do when I didn't have time, and now that I have time, I still don't want to do them. Uh, yard work's a treat, and if you're looking for superheroes, you don't have to open a comic book or watch a movie. They're all around us. I mean, a lot of things we're discovering. I hope that when this pandemic is over, that the things that we value most, time, relationships, our faith, I mean, those things will become so valuable. I pray that when we come back together in our church buildings, that we'll be so hungry, that we'll be so enthusiastic in our worship, that it'll be incredible. And so I hope that as you're going through this time, you're just not tolerating it or being bored, but you're discovering some new things about yourself and your relationship with the Lord. I've shared with you that in order to get through this time, the person we need to be leaning on is Jesus Christ. I mean, if he can get us through the issues of sin and death, he can get us through any crisis in our lives. And so uh, this, this will be our last message on the book of John. We'll be in chapter 21 in just a few moments. And when I, when I look at the book of John, chapter 20 actually ends in a really good way. Jesus rose from the dead. He, he reveals himself to his disciples in a closed room. And then uh, chapter 20 ends um, with the words of John saying that Jesus did many other miracles in the presence uh, of his people, but these have been written so that you might believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that by believing, have life in his name. And that's how it ends, and it feels like, wow, that's a great conclusion to the book. But then there's one more chapter, chapter 21, and it makes you wonder, why would he add another chapter? Why is there this epilogue to, to the book of John? And I believe it's because primarily that John has a really good friend named Peter. They had been fishing buddies years before. And the last we know about Peter, he denied Jesus three times. But then when we open up the book of Acts, there is Peter on center stage preaching the gospel. And many people would wonder what happened between the two, the Peter who was the denier and Peter who was the preacher. And something significant happened. And John writes about it. He's the only gospel writer that tells us this story in John chapter 21. So I'm going to give you a little background to the story um, because this, this follows the resurrection. It's a story of restoration. It's a story that really any one of us could benefit from because uh, Peter had gone from a life of disappointment and how he ended with Jesus on the face of the earth and he was wrestling with his own thoughts. And I don't know about you, but many of us found the Lord when we were kids teenagers, maybe even children growing up in a Christian home. We gave our lives to Jesus Christ. We were baptized. You know, we, we got into the Bible. We memorized stories. We learned to pray. We went on mission trips. We, 
we shared our faith, we found joy in serving, but then as we got older and maybe disappointment set in and discouragement, we began to believe the lies of the evil one as we whispered those in our ears and and we started to feel like maybe we were drifting in our relationship with the Lord. And I hope that during this period of time, uh, not only do we come to terms with the resurrection, but following the resurrection, the restoration, that Jesus wants to get us back on track, get us back on course. And just as he got Peter back on course, he, I believe he wants to get you back on track in your relationship with the Lord. And he's going to do it through some simple invitations that we'll find in this story. I'll give you a little background to this. Chapter 21 opens up with the disciples, the handful of disciples led by Peter. They've been out fishing all night. They've been on the Sea of, um, sea of Galilee, though John calls it the Sea of Tiberias. It's the very same thing. Julie and I, when we went to Israel a couple years ago, got to see that actual body of water. I actually got to put my body in the Sea of Galilee. A friend of mine who's a pastor asked me to baptize him in the Sea of Galilee. Most people want to get baptized in the Jordan River, which is kind of a dirty river. But he asked me to baptize him in the Galilean Sea because he said, Jesus did so much ministry around this body of water. I mean, on the water, around the villages, around the Sea of Galilee. And he says, I just am so moved by the ministry of Jesus. Would you baptize me? And so I did. I baptized him in the Sea of Galilee. And then after I baptized him, I asked him to baptize me because this is such a significant place in history. And so they've been out fishing all night and Jesus comes in the morning to see them. And here's where we pick up the story. They've been out all night. They haven't caught a single fish. And then it says, just as day was breaking, Jesus stood on the shore. And yet the disciples did not know that it was Jesus. And Jesus said to them, children, you have any fish? They answered him, no. And he said to them, cast your net on the right side of the boat and you will find some. And so they cast it. And now they were not able to haul it in because of the quantity of fish. And that disciple whom Jesus loved therefore said to Peter, it is the Lord. And when Simon Peter heard that it was the Lord, he put on his outer garment for he had been stripped for work and threw himself into the sea. And the other disciples came in the boat, dragging the net full of fish, for they were not far from the land, about a hundred yards off. See, the first invitation Jesus gives is an invitation to trust. He wants you to trust him. I love how, the, how Jesus actually calls them, not, not men. He says, children, have you caught any fish? Because they have a lot to learn. And one of the nice things about kids is kids are often humble enough to say they do need to learn. And so they've got something to learn. Now, Jesus tells them to take, take the net and throw it on the other side of the boat. Now, it doesn't really make any sense because they've been fishing all night. Surely they've tried all sides of the boat and different parts of the water, and they haven't caught a single fish. And here this guy comes along and just shouts out a command, hey, just drop your nets on the other side of the boat. I mean, seven feet to the other side of the boat, all kinds of fish over there. Right. But what have they got to lose? So they take the net and they throw it on the other side of the boat, and all of a sudden fish start flocking in that, uh, I don't know if fish flock, but fish kind of gather there into that net, and, and it's so many that they can't even hardly pull this net in. And at that moment, it's like this light bulb goes on in, in John's head. It doesn't say John, but again, he's the disciple whom Jesus loved. This light bulb goes off, and he goes, ah, ah, I think I know who this is. He goes, Peter, it's the Lord. See, they remember an incident much similar to this, about three years prior, Jesus had come into their village on the Sea of Galilee, and there Peter was and James and John, they're in their boats fishing, and they've been out all night. 
Um, they haven't caught a thing. The reason they go out at night is because that's the time to catch fish so they can get them to market in the morning, but they haven't caught a single thing. And so Jesus comes out, asks if he can use their boat to preach to the crowd, and he, he does that a little bit, and then he tells them to set their boat out a little deeper in the water and to drop their nets. Now, again, these are professional fishermen. Jesus isn't the professional, but they are. And yet, because he's Lord, they lower their net in the water and it says that when they began to pull their nets up, there were so many fish in there that they pulled it into their, their boat, the nets started to rip apart and the weight of the fish was so heavy it almost made their boat sink. And it says that Peter dropped to his knees and he said, Lord, I'm a sinful man, depart from me. He recognized he was in the presence of divinity. But then Jesus said to him, this is found in the, in the, in the Gospel of Luke, chapter five, verse 10, do not be afraid, from now on, you will be catching men. And at that moment, Peter and his cohorts, they left their fishing materials behind and they followed Jesus. And they did that for three years. They walked with Jesus. They, they learned with Jesus. They, they did ministry much like Jesus was doing up until the time of his crucifixion. Because when that happened, they began to scatter and they, they got afraid. And Peter, as you remember, denied Jesus three times. And so here they are on the, the sea, and Peter's been thinking all night. I think he's been thinking for a long time of if he could just have done it over, if he just would have stood up for Jesus instead of denying him. But, but, but he didn't. He failed him. And so he's out on the water, and it's like Jesus replays this event all over again. It's like he's calling them a second time to follow him. And this time, instead of asking Jesus to get away, Peter says, I'm going for him. Jesus, or Peter puts, uh, puts this robe around him or this, this garment, dives into the water, races as fast as he can through the water to get to Jesus. Because here's what he learned about Jesus over those three years. Jesus was holy. Jesus was good. He was perfect. But you didn't have to be afraid of Jesus. He, he, didn't, he didn't see Jesus on the shore with arms folded, with the glare on his face, with this look of, I told you so, or I've got a thing or two to talk to you about. He knew that Jesus had infinite love for him and he was safe with Jesus. And so Peter returns to him. And here's an important lesson that, that even though Peter in his past felt unworthy and even now should feel almost less worthy because of his, him denying Jesus three times, he realizes that his acceptance with Jesus isn't based on worthiness. And neither is yours. We don't come to Jesus proving ourselves worthy of a relationship. You, you'll never be worthy. We're, we're not worthy. We can't be worthy enough for a relationship with Jesus. The only requirement for a relationship with Jesus is faith. It's faith. It's, it's taking God at his word. And that's what Peter was doing both times. When he heard Jesus say, throw the net over the edge of the boat into the water. And here Peter is, he's a, he's a proud fisherman. And yet he's humble enough to admit that this guy knows something I don't know. See, in humility, when we put our trust in Jesus, believing he knows better than we know, that's faith and that's trust. And he invites us on this journey of faith. And so in just a few weeks, Peter is going to stand up on the day of Pentecost and remember Jesus had told him he'd be a fisher of men? Well, on the day of Pentecost, he stands up, preaches this incredible message about Jesus and how he died for our sins and he rose from the dead and they need to repent and be baptized. 
And, and in a sense, with his invitation, he throws the net out and 3,000 people get captured in that gospel net and come to know Jesus in a personal way. See, Jesus is now using him to fish for men. And, and you know what the big difference is when you fish for men instead of fishing for fish? When you fish for fish, you catch something that's alive and it dies. When you fish for men, you catch something that's dead and you bring them to life. Where is God in this season of this COVID-19 uh, quarantine calling you to trust him like you used to trust him maybe years ago? Maybe there's some ways that God worked for you in the past, in a job, in a relationship, in finances, in your health. And God's, God's telling you that he's still trustworthy, that he will still do for you what he's done before, that he can be trusted. I believe that during this time, Jesus is asking us, in a sense, to step out into deeper waters, trust him. You, you're, you get worried about the, the news you hear. You get worried about you know, picking up an illness. You get worried about financial issues. And I think God's just calling us to, once again, trust him. Simply trust him. That's the first invitation he gives us. It says a little bit later that when they'd finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, ten my sheep. And then he said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And now Peter was grieved because he'd said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. The second invitation Jesus gives to Peter and to you and to me is to love him. Jesus wants you to love him. It had just been a few days prior to this where Peter had denied Jesus. Now, he, he told Jesus that though everyone else might fall away, he wouldn't. That his faith was rock solid. He was not turning his back on Jesus. And yet Jesus said, Simon, I know you better than that. And before the rooster crows, you'll have denied me three times. And sure enough, before that night was over, Peter denied him. You know, his intentions said one thing. His actions told another story. That's true with us. Sometimes we profess what we'd like to do, but our actions really tell the story of our faithfulness. And I don't know about you, but there's times I made promises to the Lord that I've not followed through on, and I failed him. And yet Jesus wants to restore Peter. Regret is beating upon him like a pounding hammer, but Jesus gives him a chance to publicly affirm his love. He publicly denied Jesus. He's going to get a chance to publicly affirm his love. Not just once, not just twice, but three times to the point where Peter's actually annoyed by it. He's grieved that Jesus keeps asking, but Jesus is just making sure that Peter knows. Now, I know a lot of uh, scholars have debated about the different uh, words of love because every time Jesus asks Peter if he loves him, he uses a Greek word agape, and twice when Peter responds, he responds with a different Greek word, phileo. And they're both uh, Greek words for love, have a, have a little bit of difference in nuance. But the bottom line is this, that, that Jesus is just telling Peter, Peter, do you really love me? Because if you do, here's what you need to do. Take care of my people. Feed my sheep. Because real love, Jesus says, meets practical needs. It shows in tangible ways. And we saw that at the night of the Last Supper. 
Jesus um, washed his disciples' feet, and then a little bit later, he gave them a commandment, a new commandment. He says in John chapter 13, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so Jesus showed his love for one another that night by washing his disciples' feet. And on this morning, on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus shows his love for his disciples again, but this time by cooking them a meal. I mean, when they get to the shore, there are hot coals and there's bread and there's fish, a fire going. Now, I've seen Jesus in a lot of different settings. I'd never really thought of Jesus as a chef, but there he is. He's cooking a meal. Maybe he did that many times in his uh, period with the disciples, but here we see Jesus taking fish and bread, two things he's very familiar with. He doesn't multiply them, but he cooks them and the disciples sit down to a great meal. See, love finds a practical expression. You, know, you can say you love your spouse, but it's got to show in the way you act toward your spouse. And you may say you love your kids or you may love your parents, but it, it's got to show in tangible ways. If it doesn't, it's just, it's just meaningless words. And I love the fact that during this um, pandemic period we're in, we've been able to see love get expressed in some really practical ways. For example, uh, the very first week the news broke out that this was going to be a very crazy time, people rushed to the stores to gather uh, cleaning supplies, toilet paper, meat, all kinds of, of things. That The stores were just, just crazy, crazy busy. Well, just a few days later, there's a family in our church that has a, a young boy who's got a medical situation that requires them to use uh, more toilet paper than normal. And they couldn't find any in any store. And so I put out a plea on my Facebook page asking if anyone had extra that they could give to this family. It was definitely needed. And I got immediately several responses. And so one of the ladies uh, just drove over to the house and took a delivery package of toilet tissue for this family, a very practical need. It was in the middle of this that a lady in our church, a single mom, who actually had the, had the virus. She couldn't leave her house and her kids were infected with the virus. They couldn't leave either, but their, their daughter was celebrating her 18th birthday and they had planned this trip for her to go to New York to see the Statue of Liberty. She wasn't going to get to see it. In fact, she wasn't going to get to have much of a party at all. And so the mom just put out a request saying, hey, if any of you could do something nice for our daughter, write a card or, or maybe give a special gift. It would make her day very, very precious. And people showered her with cards and, and gifts and, and made it, in light of the circumstances, a very beautiful, memorable day. And then this past week, I received a message by a man in our church. He's a nurse at one of the local hospitals. He's been treating COVID patients. And he sent me a, a note saying he was getting very nervous because he learned of a 13-year-old child that had gotten the virus and died. And he's got three young children, each of them with special needs. And he was kind of terrified of going into his house after being at the hospital. And so he just put a plea out saying, do you know anyone who'd be willing to loan their camper or RV uh, for an extended period of time till they get through these treatments? And I put a plea out there and I didn't get any response until the next morning. I brought it to our staff's attention. One of our staff members said, you know, my husband and I, uh, I think we can do that. And so that afternoon, they moved their RV up to this family's house, parked in their driveway. And this man has a place to live right outside of his home, so close to his family, but not in the house. And it just was such a blessing. And all these situations, and I'm sure you've got your own stories, people are loving one another in tangible ways. See, Jesus is a good shepherd, 
And he calls church leaders, elders and pastors to be shepherds, but he calls all of us in a sense to act like shepherds, to care for one another and take care of needs. If you really want to love Jesus, here's how you do it. You love the people around you. And then there's one other thing that Jesus shares in this story. It says, truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, he's speaking to Peter now, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted, but when you are old, you'll stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you don't want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. Peter turned and saw the disciple whom Jesus loved following them, the one who had also leaned back against him during the supper and had said, Lord, uh, who is it that is going to betray you? And when Peter saw him, he said to Jesus, Lord, what about this man? And Jesus said to him, if it is my will that he remain until I come, what is that to you? Follow me. Twice Jesus said to Peter, follow me. And that's his third invitation to you and to me. Jesus wants you to follow him. See, Jesus' invitation is simple. I mean, it's just really simple. Follow me. Couldn't get any simpler than that. It's not complicated. It doesn't tell us to memorize scripture. It doesn't tell us to jump through a lot of hoops. It doesn't tell us to accomplish a lot of things. He just simply says, I want to be in a relationship with you where you trust me enough to follow me. Now, I, I say it's simple, but I don't say it's easy. In fact, it's very hard and it's very costly. And what he's telling Peter is that, Peter, you're going to follow me, but here's where it's going to take you. There's going to come a time where people are going to dress you in clothes you don't want to wear, and they're going to take you to a place you don't want to go, and they're going to stretch out your hands. And what this is a reference to is, Peter, someday you're going to die in a very similar fashion that I died. And history tells us that in 68 AD, Peter was led to his own crucifixion. But when Peter was crucified, Peter felt unworthy to be crucified like Jesus, and he requested to be crucified upside down. Cost him, cost him dearly, painfully. And I'm just telling you, if you're going to follow Jesus, it will cost you, and it could be painful. You might lose friends. You might lose family. You might lose a job. It might, it might cost you health. It, it may cost you finances. I mean, it will cost you. It's, it can... It can take a toll on you. I'm telling you, it's, it's simple, but it's not easy. Because what Jesus is asking us to do is to follow him. And he takes us to some very hard places at times. I love the fact that, that Jesus simply says, follow me. Because he, he doesn't want us to be looking at other people. Peter looked at this other disciple whom Jesus loved again. That's John. And, and Peter's saying, what about this guy? What, what do you want him to do? And, and what's your plan for him? And, and Jesus basically says, none of your business. It doesn't matter what I have for him. I want you to follow me. And so following Jesus is like, let's say like a, a father or grandfather or an adult leading a child through the forest. See, you go down a trail that you're familiar with and you know how to get from here to there, but the child doesn't. But, but they're not worried. In fact, the child's not even afraid because they trust you. They know that you know the way through the forest. And if all you tell them is, follow me, that's all they need to know. And see, here's the deal. Jesus, Jesus sees the big picture. He sees where this whole coronavirus thing is going. He sees where the whole world is going. He sees the end of time. And 
And he's not off on some distant cloud shouting us directions. He's more like a tour guide saying, hey, you, follow me. I'll lead the way, I'll go, and you just follow me. Which means we've got to be close enough to hear his voice. We've got to be close enough to follow his footsteps. See, Jesus said, you know, I know my sheep. They hear my voice, they follow. That's all he wants. Just wants you, just wants me to follow. When Jesus rose from the dead, he gave us the promise that one day, when our lives on this earth end, we'll be resurrected from the dead. But in between now and then, he wants to restore you, restore me to a right relationship with him so that we would trust him, that we would love him, and above all, that we would follow him every day of our lives. And maybe during this whole season of this virus and this time that God's given you to think and maybe tune into churches more than you've ever tuned in before, read your Bible or pray, you've realized you want to get back on track with the Lord. His arms are open. He's not, he's not waiting for you with a judgmental expression. His, his arms are open to welcome you to get back on track, to continue walking with him through the rest of your life. If we as a church can help you, Pastor Dustin's gonna share with you in just a little bit how you can respond on a form to, to let us know where you are spiritually, let us know what your needs are, your prayer concerns. If you need to make a spiritual decision and we can help with that, we definitely want to walk with you on this journey. Thank you for being with us today. Continue to listen to Jesus. He's alive, he's here with us, and he's here for you. Trust him, love him, follow him today and forevermore. Amen.